So this week we had Dane Lund uh, on the podcast. He's a core contributor of Alliance Dow. Now, Dane has been a thought leader on the topic of DAOs, and Alliance Down is seen as sort of a Y Combinator when it comes to providing DAOs with uh, alumni networking and the tools that they need to be successful. Now, we cover a lot in this episode, and as the title implies, we discuss the challenges of both autonomy and even decentralization for the organizations that today call themselves DAOs. We also talk about many of the organizations uh, going through sort of a soul-searching um, after the Uki DAO uh, complaint. Perhaps it casts some doubt on liability remoteness for DAO members who vote, and there are certainly unintended consequences for that. Lastly, we discuss some of the current legislation before Congress in the U.S. and MICA, uh, as well as the impact of those legislative pieces on DAOs, or DOES, whichever you want to call them. In any event, as you will hear, it, is, it might be too soon to predict uh, the decline of DAOs. In fact, they are likely to become increasingly important in the longer term. So if you like this podcast, please share it with somebody else. And in the interim, sit back and enjoy a great episode with Dane Lund. Welcome to The Encrypted Economy, a weekly podcast featuring discussions exploring the business, laws, regulation, security, and technologies relating to digital assets and data. I am Eric Hess, founder of Hess Legal Counsel. I've spent decades representing regulated exchanges, broker-dealers, investment advisors, and all matter of fintech companies for all things touching electronic trading with a focus on new and developing technologies. So this is Eric Hess and uh, Dane Lund uh, with this episode of The Encrypted Economy. Welcome, Dane. Hey, Eric. It's great to, to be here. So Dane is a core contributor to Alliance Dow. Uh, previous to that, he was an attorney with Wilkie Farr, um, but uh, I'm not going to I'm not going to do justice to his background. Why don't you give us a little bit about your origin story and and uh, a little bit about what Alliance Dow does? Yeah, absolutely. So um, you, you kind of touched on two of the important points here. Um, I began my career as an attorney um, focused on shareholder rights litigation um, and, and white collar investigations. Um, I did transition uh, to become an investment banker and an investor, um, you know, over the course of about seven years. Um, so I got quite a lot of financial exposure as well. And, you know, for a lot of my career, I've been trying to bring those two things together. So my last institutional job was in litigation finance. Um, I had always been very interested in blockchain. Um, you know, I started trading Ethereum in about 2016. Um, I learned a little bit about DAOs and then kind of put it in the back of my mind. And in 2020, during the pandemic, you know, um, I, I kind of went mad scientist and, and learned a lot more about DAOs and, and realized that's you know, something that's very compelling um, for somebody who wants to bring law and finance together. So um, through that process, I um, got connected to a local law firm in Chicago um, where I live. Um, and we started to think about what a, what a bill, uh, recognizing DAOs in Illinois would look like, um, still haven't successfully pushed that, but through that process, I met Alliance, um, at the time Alliance was an accelerator, um, focused on, you know, accelerating DeFi projects, but also expanding into web three broadly, um, you know, the accelerator is still fully operational and, and has really gained traction. Um, so some of the best and brightest minds in Web3 go through it. And what they were trying to do and what I've been working on is um, to create a DAO that encompasses the accelerated community. 
And so what that, that DAO is, is becoming is an alumni community for the founders who successfully passed through the accelerator. Um, and in some ways, you know, that community has a mission to build on its own. Um, the idea is to give the community ownership over decisions about what they do prospectively. So I think it's a little bit different from, you know, many of the other DAOs that are out there. Um, you know, there's there's no token that's floating out there or, or anything like that, but um, there is a very clear mission and a clear path to membership. Um, and, and our idea is to reduce the value leakage out of the alumni community over time by having a central point for people to collect. I should be very clear, the Governance is decentralized, but it is a uh, more or less a shelling point for alumni um, uh, of the Alliance Accelerator. Great. And um, I, 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 one of the topics we're going to be digging in today, obviously, is DAOs. Um, and, and in light of certain regulatory developments, you know, what has become a DAOs? But I feel like, you know, it's important, even though a lot of people listening to the podcast know what a DAO is, like, okay, decentralized autonomous organization. Um, let, let, let's dig a little bit into this concept of autonomy uh, for a DAO. Um, you, you know, how would you define the autonomous component of a DAO as, as, as sort of a, if, if, if the autonomous word is a central component and we're not simply using an acronym, right? Because sometimes when yes. you when you strip away like DAO, DAO sounds like a single word. It's like you know, it's the stock market index or whatever. But you get it. It's yes. like a DAO. But but when you strip away the various component parts and you look at each one as an element, how do you look at autonomy uh, with regards to DAOs? I think it's a really uh, important question that hasn't been answered, and I'll give you a couple of points that I think um, approximate what we talk about when we talk about DAOs. But I'd also say that you know. It's important to realize that there are also, you know, DOs, decentralized organizations, and and those are very important too. Um, I think the term DAO has has come to encompass both decentralized autonomous organizations and decentralized organizations. Um, so it's important to think about, you know, how to differentiate those, and, and the autonomy is really important. So when I think about autonomy, I think about two things. Um, first. You know, I think the classic view is that autonomous execution of smart contracts um, at the core of the DAO is is what creates autonomy. So, um, more or less, a protocol that that you know can can upgrade based on votes um, automatically, um, and 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 not necessarily depend on you know dev deployment based on input from a vote. Um, and so, that's a pretty rare thing. Um, I think it, it resides in kind of the protocol territory uh, and the, you know, the goal of many DOs is to get to the point where you have autonomous execution, but it's harder when you're coordinating, you know, organizations that do have a fair amount of human activity to have autonomous execution. So um, the other point of autonomy, um, and this is maybe not in the classical definition, but it's an important to think about as we develop DAO theory is the idea that DAOs at their formation um, are, are more like political organizations than they are like, you know, corporations. At, at the founding, a DAO is more or less an inter internally coherent sense of rules that, that are similar to kind of a, an act of sovereignty. 
Um, the DAO itself, the smart contracts, don't know what's outside of the DAO. They only know really what's inside of the DAO. Um, maybe maybe a source of truth outside the DAO, but um, it's it's like forming a country. Um, obviously, uh, DAOs don't have sovereignty such that they can like interact with states like states interact with each other. But that that element um, of being you know set up without you know. Um, clearly mandated rules from the outside um, is an important part of thinking about autonomy too. I'm not sure that's the original conception, but it's certainly something that um, you know people should consider when they're thinking about doubt theory. Right. So, like, just to kind of break this apart a little bit more and dig a little bit into it. So, a governance proposal that is not self-executing. Um, based on the results of an autonomous, uh, 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 based on the results of an on-chain vote, is it autonomous? If it's not self-executing, I mean, this 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 goes to you know, there's a lot more theory on decentralization and a spectrum, right? Um, with the execution of the smart contract, if we're being very rigid, I would say that the case you just um, gave is is not autonomous execution. Um, there. There could be a world in which there is a you know a dev committee or some some such kind of target um, that receives you know governance input and deploys contract or deploys contract such that the community can see it and then vote yes that's the contract that gets deployed. There is an element of autonomy there. It's somewhere on the spectrum of you know not autonomous at all and autonomous execution because there are rules that govern how these things work. Um, but it starts to be, you know, kind of closer to the DO part of, you know, this organizational um, spectrum versus the pure DAO piece. I mean, it's hard to conceptualize like a pure, perfect DAO other than either protocols or AI interacting, um, you know, according to rules that we put out, um, you know, as a precedent matter. So I, th I think it's a good question. I would say, Purists would say not not autonomous. All right, um, I'll, I'll move that test a little bit uh, now to to the Bermuda test. Sure. So if the core team can move away, and the you know the the entity continues to operate in Bermuda. Now the Bermuda test is an old legal construction. Actually, given how active Bermuda is in the blockchain space, maybe we should call it Mars. But then there's the Mars Protocol, yes. so we'll choose like Pluto or hopefully something that that uh, doesn't uh, overlap with uh, where, where, where blockchain is associated with. But um, you know, you basically remove the core development team to another planet, and and if the entity has to sort of constitute around a new core team through again an off-chain mechanism does that does that change the fact or are we basically just talking about the same thing here it's decentralized but it it it, it just shows the how critical that core team is that it can't pass absent some uh, off-chain activities to reconstitute yeah, I think I think that's it's interesting to see how the concepts of you know decentralization and autonomy can interrelate. Um, if we were to assume a case where you know the Bermuda test is passed, the core team's gone, but the protocol still runs, um, but there is an inter you know intermediate layer where there's still kind of dev interpretation and deployment. Um, I, I don't know that that I mean I think that. If we're thinking about you know 
some of the securities tests, I, I don't think that this, um, I don't think it would run afoul. Um, however, if we're thinking, you know, pure uh, Dow theory, I still think that the autonomy piece isn't isn't perfectly, you know, satisfied. All right, and, and I think this discussion, even though it may seem you know, to some people, maybe like it may seem esoteric, right? Because it's like, you know, there's different, there's a spectrum of, of decentralization, maybe less of a spectrum of autonomy, but people might say, okay, stop being such a purist, it's a DAO. But in fact, from a regulatory perspective, uh, it may actually start taking on a, 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 a more important consideration. Because when a regulator is looking at a, a true decentralized autonomous organization, it is viewing something that is distinct from something that is just purely a decentralized organization, and 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 that is sort of core to to, to a lot of what we're going to talk about today, which is why we, we sort yeah. of teed it up. I think I th one thing I would say is that you know we see uh, we see a lot of potential value in decentralization and organization together, and you know autonomy is is very interesting, and I think you know most DAO organizations, whatever wherever they stand on the the A piece, they aspire to autonomous execution. Usually there is a vision of a machine effectively working, you know, apart from um, any individual code deployments. Um, I would, if I'm thinking from a regulatory perspective, I'd be careful about making the A a necessary component because um, we see tremendous value purely in DOs. Um, and, and we can get into what they unlock and, 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 and the likes, but um, I, I think that it's fine to have a debate on the decentralization piece. The autonomy is, is more of an ideal um, in many cases than, than a reality. Right. Agreed. Um, so, and maybe as a sort of a segue to some of the changes that, that we're, we're seeing now in, in the U.S., um, how would you frame the challenges that DAOs are currently facing, you know, sitting here in October of 2022 and not the year of the DAO at the beginning of 2022? <laughs> yes, yeah, so I, I think it's, uh, if, if I were to categorize these problems, they would fall under existential. Um, right now, I think we're facing uh, questions about whether or not DAOs will continue to exist um, in, in a, call it, very visible form. And I think that it's important for anyone who's interested in, you know, blockchain science or, or organizational theory to, to take that seriously. I think that if I were to start to point at specific issues, I think the first is, um, you know, how to classify whatever the units of governance are. So I think that there are clear voices that say, well, these are securities. Um, there are other voices that say, no, these are, you know, part of a, you know, basically sui generis like organization um, and, and we shouldn't touch governance tokens. Um, there, there's a ton of debate on that fact. I think there's also a lot of, you know, question marks on what, what is the right amount of disclosure around a DAO community? Um, I think that there, there could be a world in which um, a, disclosure regime that, that was realistic um, could make a lot of sense. Like in some ways it would, it would make the work of a founding team easier if they knew what they needed to communicate to a community and knew what is appropriate and what is not. 
and they were able to follow a template effectively. Figuring out how to communicate for DAO, I think, is very difficult. And also figuring out the extent to which the founding team should be doing X, Y, or Z, um, or leaving it to the community at a later date. Um, I've written uh, about this concept of an initial state, and I think we don't know what the appropriate initial state is. Some DAOs effectively say, here's, here's your DAO day one, here are all the people who are doing things at a later date, you know, we can vote on changing that. And that's kind of more like a, you know, already being written story. And there are other DAOs that, you know, pop up and say, hey, we don't know what we are, um, but we, we all, you know, rally around one specific point. Let's figure it out through governance. And that's kind of more like a, almost a, you know, blank slate DAO. So figuring these things out from a regulatory slash theoretical perspective are important issues. And some of the threats um, that, that relate from this discussion uh, really kind of get at whether or not we're going to have DAOs in the future. Right. And, and I think possibly, you know, there's, there's a, a number of different things happening. I think, uh, you know, we recently had a podcast with Kayvon Sadegi on uh, the CFTC and Uki DAO. Um, and uh, certainly one of the challenges that that case presented was the potential liability joint and several uh for the for the the governance uh token holders um or those who had actually participated in the governance how do, how does that change like from what you're seeing like how does that change the calculus going forward for like public and open uh DAOs? yeah i think that uh it it let's think about this i think there's a political angle there's a reaction angle, um, and then there's a theory angle. So the political angle is, you know, are DAOs going to step up and advocate for more clarity on, you know, recognition of their organizational status? We have seen, um, you know, some progress there. There have been teams who have worked in Wyoming on recognizing DAOs. I won't, I won't opine on, you know, the propriety of U.S. Based LLC type wrappers, um, but I think there needs to be a much more um, coordinated effort to explain to policymakers why DAOs are different um, and why they should be respected without um, potentially a corporate wrapper. And, and I think that inherent in that question is a trade-off between decentralization, which is important um, for kind of getting to the ideal of a DAO and state recognition. If you contain, um, you know, a bunch of token holders within uh, an entity structure, we need clarity on whether or not you can consider that decentralized, right? Um, but if you don't put it in a structure and then you're exposed to unlimited liability for the actions of you know, your putative partners, well, that's really bad too. Um, and, and what will happen is that people won't participate. Um, I think that, you know, putting aside the facts and the um, culpability of any actors in Uki, I think the, the, the tragic thing is that a lot of people are asking, should I be involved in DAOs at all if there isn't a corporate entity around it? And that can lead to an unwinding of the communities because if people don't vote, then only a few people are participating and then 
you know, you're, you're more or less relying on the actions of a few governance participants um, who are willing to stick their neck out. And then you end up in you know, the question of decentralization, like is this a security or not? Um, so, so that's not great. Call them CDAOs. Yes, yes. Um, and like, you know, there's a world in which they could be privately managed. I, I'm actually a, a big believer that there will be, if, if, if the regulatory storm, you know, continues, um, a similar phenomenon um, to what happened with, you know, companies going public after Sarbanes-Oxley um, will happen with Dow. So after Sarbox, if you looked at the, you know, cumulative um, public company chart, it just dropped off. Um, there were very few public issuances from about 2001 to 2000 and, uh, you know, 21, basically, um, maybe end of 2020. I think that if we continue to attack DAOs that have, you know, publicly traded tokens, whatever you want to call it, um, permissionless access, you will find communities that bootstrap um, more or less in a permissioned form. Um, they will build valuable networks, but they will not be accessible to, um, you know, the general uh, participant. Uh, you, you will have to somehow be permissioned to come in, whitelisted, maybe you're an accredited investor, whatever it might be. That could lead to a tragic um, you know, uh, skew toward people who have means or people who um, are incumbents in the industry. Uh, so there's a trade-off between, you know, maybe we don't want people to just like, you know, cowboy, um, you know, DAOs that, that have no utility. Um, but at the same time, we don't want to create like a, what I call a network class, um, you know, uh, which would be a lot of the people who are participating now um, to the detriment of, you know, future generations. Um, so, you know, I mentioned a few of the other categories of, you know, things to think about. I mean, at the theoretical basis, I think we really need to think about, you know, where DAOs win. Um, this is a concept that's that's come up kind of more in the academic form, but you know, figuring out exactly where these types of organizations are um, are, are, are superior alternatives to a traditional corporate form. You know, I've mentioned an alumni association. I think that's a, a good specific use case. It's not a very uh, large set of organizations. I think unions could be a good one. I tend to think infrastructure projects are also very good use cases, um, as well as things like water rights, um, shared resources where, um, you know, we have governments that, that, that do step in to help solve collective action problems. But the uh, interaction between the participants who are being regulated is fairly minimal, um, other than when they go and sue each other. Um, I think we could probably use tokenized voting um, to, to help manage that better. There are other classes of problems that, that I think AI and other types of technology will, will yield, where I think DAOs will be very interesting and potentially the, the dominant strategy. We won't know unless we can experiment. Um, so, so we have to be very careful where we um, draw the line on what people can do in experimenting with DAOs, um, while recognizing that, you know, unfettered, they, they can, you know, cause some harm. Right. I, I think uh, the notion of DAOs being linked with AI is definitely powerful, particularly if you get AI to the point where it can, you know, the capabilities of that 
you know, self-executing is, is expanded yes. versus, I mean, you know, and not to be confused with machine learning, which would be a catastrophic disaster since machine learning requires tweaking all kinds of data and is, is not really uh, learning. <laughs> I, I retain, uh, what I'd say is uh, maybe a niche theory that um, we actually need decentralized um, smart contract uh, systems to manage AI. And the example I'll give you is that if you know somebody runs a centralized you know centralized company has a ton of discretion and is building AI, um, they can build things according to their will that could have you know pretty massive ramifications for society. They can do it in a way that that effectively you know can be continued without um, without interruption. No transparency. A, yeah, without transparency. There's a world in which we, you know, create a community that stewards certain pieces of AI um, and decides whether or not to like contribute tokens that that pay gas for the AI to do something. Right? Smart contracts are seen as liberation for many uh, people, but it can also be a constraint on things like AI. I'm obviously talking in a very futuristic manner there, um, but uh, if if the rules are very clear on when AI can act and what the substance or the the um, what the utility is that powers it can be controlled by tokenized voters. If the AI, if the AI that was supposed to be noble becomes evil, you could cut it off by you know making sure that no Ethereum goes into its you know executing smart contracts. It's called it, um, it's animating smart contract, right? Um, and that would be a way to cut it off. Um, I think I think there would be incredible uses for decentralized management of AI. Right. So in many ways, DAOs could become, uh, for a period of time, we could be struggling with it. We could be trying to get our footing, trying to manage all the issues with AI, with, with DAOs, but they could ultimately become, you know, they could have their upswing again, particularly as the capabilities that stem from that self-execution. And, you know, AI will also be a spectrum, much like decentralization yeah. is a spectrum. Um, and so it could become very relevant again, although currently it's probably arguably, you know, a bit challenged because we haven't really yeah. nailed down the the A component of it. And then that leads to how do you really, you know, if you are a decentralized organization, but you're operating on a, a spectrum of decentralization, you know, you know, then, then, you know, the, the question is, is how does that, you know, what kind of impact should that have on a, yeah. a, a classification or in the case of UkiDAO where the governance, you know, should the governance token holders, you know, have that liability, you know, certainly that was not expected. Um, but, you know, uh, you know, I, I would anticipate that regulators aren't just simply going to say, you know what, oh, it's, it's, a, it's a DAO, even though it's not really autonomous, even though it's not completely 100% decentralized. And I know I'm like, there's probably a lot of purists out there that are like throwing darts at me now, but it's just the reality. I mean, you, you can't always just put up the DAO and say, you know, hide behind it. Now, the action that the CFTC took was trying to shape the law in a way that hasn't really been developed yet and needs to be explored. And so it was premature. So that was problematic. But certainly, um, certainly, this is not a one and done. And I think that's really the point that you're referencing. It's like, you know, this is something you have to con contemplate whether you should do private DAOs or find other ways to be protective. Some, I saw law firms like spitting out, you know, memos that said, you need to be a rap DAO. And, you know, I personally, I don't even, 
I don't understand how that would be the natural consequence of the Uki order, the Uki complaint. Like, uh, you know, you have UNAs, you have other vehicles, and DAOs are a collection of entities, so you could find other ways to insulate yourself from liability while still operating within a DAO and not being wrapped by a DAO. So I thought that was, um, that wouldn't have been my take, but anyway. I, I think it's, it's, it's a really interesting thing, you know, um, we, you know, people with, with legal training know that a complaint is not the law. Um, and so, you know, we will, you and I can point at issues that, that will be litigated strongly in the UK scenario. But we also have to look at the complaints to see where the regulatory knife is going. And so when law firms start to write these memos, they effectively what they're saying is, well, you don't want to be the subject of a regulatory action. And that's true. It's very costly. It's potentially destructive to the entire project. Like um, in some ways it is the law. Um, and that's, that's the, the, I think the really unfortunate thing. And the thing that, that we should fight against is it shouldn't be the case that a complaint makes the law. And we won't find out whether the Yuki action, um, you know, uh, complies with the law or was it is within the confines of the CFTC's authority, you know, satisfies due process for some time. So we're left to, you know, we have what I call grown lawyers writing memos that are basically pointing to this and say, well, now you have to react. Um, you have to wrap your DAO. And no court said that. Um, the CFTC just, just had a complaint. Um, they have a legal theory, but, but we don't have the capacity to have this theoretical debate without taking action as an industry. And that's, that's, um, that's something that I hope we can resolve. Right. Right. And, and, uh, you know, in certain cases, if for all practical purposes, your, your DAO could easily be wrapped, you know, you know, to some extent, you, you know, the pure decentralization isn't really the objective. You do rely on a much more contained group of members then you know, sure. You know, you have other forms, you can be an LLC. It's not, it's not ridiculous to contemplate being an LLC if you're in the digital asset industry, you know, particularly if you're not really a DAO anyway. So, right. I mean, there's that like, oh, no, we have to be a DAO. Well, are you really a DAO? And yes. I think for a lot of projects, and I'm not going to point fingers, but for a lot of, a lot of projects, the answer may be, yeah, we're, we're kind of really just an LLC. I mean, it's just, you know, I hate to say it, but it's true. And others are definitely aspiring and that might may cut off their aspirations. But, you know, yeah. um, well, I think. I think that's a, you know, there, there is, a, obviously I'm, I'm more of a liberty maximalist on this and I like, you know, I would like to see the ability to have unincorporated DAOs um, that, that do have, you know, legal recognition. Like I'm not, I'm not saying I, I believe in, you know, complying with the law and everything like that, but, um, you know, there, there is a, a counter thesis um, that, that, you know, I often debate in my own head, which is, okay, well, we force DAOs to justify their existence if they can't just sprout up. Um, and you know, I think one of the one of the things about you know mini DAOs that popped up and call it the the first DAO wave is that they corralled around very weak missions, and and some of them were were very entertaining, right? Um, the idea of having a DAO that's focused on ensuring that people have a certain type of fast food, um, you know, that that's really fun, right? If you get pizza delivered at a conference from a specific DAO, that's super cool. But 
is it sustainable? Uh, no. And so is, is, is money basically going to a temporary act? Um, yes, that can be very good in certain circumstances. I would argue that there are special purpose DAOs, like Constitution DAO, that, that bring people together around a mission. And obviously that one was like kind of a millennial Gen Z, like hurrah moment. Um, but it, I think it was an important one. And so if we force kind of this more legal formality, it does set a bar for what I'd call product market fit. Um, you know, that's a typical term in like, you know, more of a product based building environment, but you know, if it, if it doesn't work, um, if, if the thesis isn't strong, then you won't build it. You won't take the time to actually go through these legal formalities. So it does apply, um, some pressure to have good ideas. At the same time, I think it may kill, um, some good ideas that take time to form. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm mixed on this point. All right. So let's talk a little bit about maybe the concept of uh, anonymity in voting, uh, because I think, you know, the Ukidao, uh complaint did put that front and center. Like, you know, they, they filed a complaint on a, on a, on a help bot or help, you know, in, in chat, um, and so now you have a lot of like, you know, what it does do is, you know, for your ordinary person or, or maybe, you know, where you have less potential exposure, maybe it moves the needle a bit. But if you're a venture capital firm and you've got your, your board members, you know, and other partners to report to on this, you don't want to be in a position where you ignored something like this potentially and be called to the mat. So it, it kind of forces that whole delegation. You know, we, we've even heard about, um, you know, uh, obviously like there's, there's academic blockchain societies that, you know, hold delegate, you know, the delegated voting rights from A16Z and other VCs. But then Dao happens and now you have them saying, hmm, you know, do we want our school mixed up in this? I mean, I've even right. heard of certain universities being subpoenaed uh, yeah. in the Ukidao case uh, due to their governance, potential governance participation. Now, do I really yeah. think it goes anywhere? Uh, I, I, I don't really think so. That wouldn't be popular. Uh, but, uh, you know, and I don't think it'd be warranted for sure. Uh, but it does have a chilling effect. And, and now you start to say, well, okay, who do we delegate it to? And I, you know, who's, you know, you might have some libertarians or some other, you know, diehards out there saying, me, 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 get me in the ring, boss. But, you know, for a lot of others, to your point, it sort of chills that participation. So, yeah. you know, and I think that's sort of maybe that's where the private LLC or the private DAO comes in where you don't have that visibility. So you're not doxed, you know, at least not publicly doxed. Um, but how do you how do you see that the, the impact on governance and even potentially, um, you know, does, you know, is this some people have floated this idea of anon uh, governance? Yes. Do you think that really works? So I want to uh, two two lines of response. The first is I want to touch on one one thing that you you mentioned. You know, there's there's um, I, I would say this is more rumor than than confirmed, but the, the concept that you know university clubs. Uh, Mike, it's subpoenaed for, uh, you know, participation in governance. I mean, I really hope that uh, some some congressional hearing centers around um, how destructive that type of uh, regulatory action can be. I mean, there are some excellent schools and excellent students who are working on understanding blockchain. They're not making money doing this. Um, 
you know, if you look at Stanford, you know, one of the most subscribed classes is, uh, you know, an introduction to blockchain. Um, I, I think that trying to bully students um, is is an absolute line that should be drawn. And, and I think that Congress should take a look at that. Um, and, and I think that it goes to your other point, which is, you know, this, this concept of privacy um, around governance, around activity. Um, I, I have two perspectives there. Um, one is the more that, uh, you know, this is kind of like um, setting price controls, right? Like when you set price controls, you just create a black market uh, where you kind of try to eliminate a certain type of structure. Um, it may go underground. What are the what are the implications of that? Well, it might mean that you won't find me, um, you know, around a DAO, uh, but you might find a lot of people who are doing the things that they're trying to not have um, done in the blockchain community, like be the last one standing. I think it would be a real tragedy if um, we create a situation where this excellent technology is is sent to the dark web. Um, that's an analogy. Obviously, this isn't a dark web; it's a blockchain, um, but I think that would be um, you know, an unintended and bad consequence, or maybe it's intended, I don't know. But also let's, let's just talk about privacy and, and um, its utility. So I think there are reasons why um, you know, legitimate above board actors may want to have privacy in, um, in their DAO activity. Um, Vitalik gave a very good example of this when he talked about um, you know, donating to uh, Ukraine down, uh, and he used tornado cash to do it. Um, so he added himself as having used tornado cash, but specifically because he didn't want, you know, um, specific actors to be identified in, you know, receiving donations or, you know, having being identified himself as, um, you know, promoting something that maybe, you know, Russia, uh, would take note of. Right. So there are reasons why, good people might not want every action to be fully discoverable on the blockchain. And this is one of the, you know, things when you think about the chain, everything being transparent is a bit different from what a bank does, right? A bank is, is it records what happens. It can report it to the government, whereas the chain has everything accessible to everyone. If we were to start purchasing Netflix with, uh, you know, with Ethereum, People would see what we watch. Like they might realize that, in fact, I like romantic dramas, but they thought I was, you know, more of an action person. Uh, maybe, maybe my private life is at odds with the image I project. But that's something that, that should be private, um, to be quite honest. So, this, and in, in applied to DAO voting, we could imagine circumstances in which having more public voting um, leads to momentum for certain governance proposals. It's like, oh, A16 voted for that. Well, I'm going to vote for it. Just, just tack along. Um, you know, if we think about governments, if, if we think about, you know, the UN, there are times when they take secret ballots. There are times when you know, we as citizens give secret ballots. Uh, it's not as though this is like entirely a pernicious thing. It can, all these things are neutral, right? They have positive applications. They have negative applications. Uh, we don't want people to use it to launder money. I totally agree. Uh, but, but people launder money apart from the chain, right? And, and that's what we need to target. So I get really uneasy when we say, well, we shouldn't have ZK proofs in voting. Um, I just don't think that, that 
um, A, we understand the technology enough, B, um, that we've really thought through the downstream consequences of restricting that type of technology, and C, the upside potential um, of using it. Long-winded answer, but uh, a lot of thoughts there. Right, and and that could also have the exact opposite impact on what the regulators are trying to accomplish. Like if the regulators don't respect or there isn't a respect for the construct of the DAO or there isn't some sort of enshrined uh, judicial or legislative respect that gives some degree of comfort, then you basically, much like we've done with securities laws, where we just basically say everything's security and there's like no viable path for registering. So yeah. good luck with that. So like all DAO members are liable and there's no viable path for, you know, and again, I, that, that's an overstatement, but um, it could sort of force a lot of these things to be more secretive and the end result may, you know, with less transparency, less information, you sort of create this construct where it forces people who want to be able to vote with privacy um, to do so in a way that that may not be long term beneficial. Um, right. And, and, you know, so so on the whole Anon part, part you know, uh, you know, I guess a, a while ago now we had uh, Janelle Backer um, on the podcast and we were talking about uh, basically his social tokens and and what they had done to sort of align reputation with the social token. So there was this whole, you know, you could really build up the, you know, because you, you could have multiple pseudonyms and your reputation in any particular pseudonym could be built up, uh, you know, based on what you participated in, et cetera, you know, how long you've been uh, on chain, you know, hopefully there's, you know, there's some time element where people can't game the system. But, um, you know, you could potentially also have the same kind of thing operating within a governance structure where even maybe through a, uh, you know, a, a possibly a less transparent process as to what what weights are put on specific things, but maybe transparency as to the process overall, where different governing members um, can actually retain their pseudonyms, but have some reliance on a reputation that they've acquired through either their participation in that one DAO or otherwise. Like, do you think reputation starts to become like, more of a driver behind, I mean, reputation is already a subtle driver. The question is, is now reputation is often linked in, in you know, well, I mean, sometimes pseudonymous, sometimes less than synonymous. Does it really push it more toward the pseudonymous or even anonymous side? Yeah, so I mean, that's a really interesting point that you raised. Um, I, so reputation is one of my favorite topics. I'm spending a lot of time studying it um, across DAO communities, um, both both doxed, non-doxed. I think it's interesting. I, I think that you know, if you take the the Ray Dalio concept of having an idea meritocracy, like that, that in essence is a DAO. Um, and in some ways, the way he describes building Bridgewater, right? It's like you know, logical conclusion is is like a DAO. So uh, let's bring it back to the the territory you're talking about, which is using pseudonyms. We often like law schools typically grade papers blind because the name of the person has some influence on a professor's thinking about what they're saying with a pseudonym from the initial point. Um, you know, the, the interesting thing is you, you strip away the, like the person and the assumptions you have about them and you take, you know, you know, a, a more basic identity, and then if it builds reputation, um, you, you end up 
assessing that pseudonym based on its like value input. If your reputation system is designed well, which is a whole different problem, um, that's where I'm focused is like, how do you design good reputation systems? But, you know, I, I, I tend to prefer uh, docs communities because I think it's just easier in light of where we are. But like, I think there's, there's a world, like I, I totally buy the argument. That there's a world in which you can coordinate synonymously, strip out, you know, some of our biases about, you know, who's, who's behind the pseudonym and assign reputation in a way that says, you know, this, this node here, um, node one has done incredible things for our community. It's been, you know, entirely stand up. It's, it's never, you know, had never committed an error, um, totally reliable. And then node four has been just absolute garbage. So if node one wants to propose something, you know, it, it gets escalated quickly and node four has to like really, um, you know, push, uh, push against an assumption that, you know, what they're saying is not very valuable in order to convince us to elevate their, um, their proposal. So I think that the, if, if I were to design it down a vacuum and, and, and I knew that, you know, money was not going to be laundered or anything like that. Um, I think it really, really interesting to have an entirely anonymous DAO. Um, now given the world we live in, I, I would personally err on the side of doxing, but, uh, I think, I think you raise a very interesting, um, question. So, um, we also talked a little bit about the work you've done on structuring the DAO versus governance. Do you want to kind of develop that a little bit? Yeah. So I think that um, an understudied area, and, and I think it's understudied in large part because of regulatory questions, is how do structures around DAOs um, affect governance? Um, and, and what I mean by that is, you know, you can envision a DAO as a fully on-chain organization, but in practice, you see a lot of people putting certain types of organizations around them. It could be a, a Wyoming LLC, DAO LLC. It could be, you know, a trust of some sort. Each of these components comes with a governance implication. Um, an example I'll give you is, is optimism. Optimism has um, components that are, you know, token weighted voting. Um, they have a component that is NFT, one person, one vote. And then they have a foundation. And the foundation has, you know, people that have a steward role for their effective DAO. Um, and, and they are able to oversee certain aspects of governance and propose uh, changes to the governance system um, in a way that I think would be harder to do if it was fully on chain. So it, in some ways, it's a way of um, having a gentle nudge to the protocol if things, you know, more or less go awry or, you know, being able to, you know, inspire participation. Um, I don't want to speak for them because I think, you know, they're probably going in a radically different direction than I'm describing. But, you know, having certain structures around the DAO does have implications for governance. Um, and another example of this, which is is bad governance, is, you know, the SEC brought a complaint against uh, the organizations around Dragon Chain, and one of the um, you know pieces of the complaint was that the founder was the head of all of the organizations around you know Dragon Chain, and so there's a corporate governance interface. You know, having a common controller is probably not a good thing if we're thinking about how that influences any kind of chain activity. Um, so, I, I think that 
what what I would love to see is data on how the real world structure chain governance interface works. What I fear is we won't see that because there's too much fear about you know the regulatory environment um, for much of that data to end up um, you know reaching reaching the the world. But that could be really interesting also from a policy perspective. Like how how do we want to recognize DAOs? Is it better having a steward organization, or are we better off having you know an unincorporated um, type of organization that has limited liability? Can't answer that question because I haven't seen enough permutations to uh, to tell you what works best. Yeah, I mean, I you know we, we've covered the um, cooperative model a lot in this podcast, and uh, certainly like once you start talking about wrapping a DAO, then you know. The next logical question is, you know, well, if you're talking about wrapping, does a cooperative work? Because a cooperative has certain advantages. May not like it if you're talking about more centralized control, um, you know, where you do have those stewards. You know, potentially, the cooperative makes makes more sense. Like it, not always, uh, you know, because they do uh, have that state law securities exemptions in in a lot of states, which often translates into a federal law exemption. Let's just be honest, like, you know, yeah. if it has a state law uh, regist- securities registration exemption, it's, it's probably not going to end up running afoul of the SEC. I mean, it's enshrined uh, and it, right. it goes back to like, what, 1933 or even before. I mean, co- cooperatives, but, you know, pre-existed, yeah. but were, made, were, were incorporated into statute. So, you know, you, you know, cooperatives are more of a shared ownership organization versus uh, a shared governance, although you could do a number of things to still achieve some of those objectives as well. Yeah, I think so. So something you just touched on there, I think there's a a future where um, DAOs have a real world organization integration. So you could imagine um, certain corporations like having either a DAO for their for their customers, right? Like they can vote on they can vote on the menu at McDonald's Um, and that that, you know, they get rewarded in, you know, X, Y, or Z um, discount, but McDonald's now has extremely specific feedback on, you know, what's, what works. They could even make it regional, although let's just, let's just assume that works, right? Like there are, there are operational hurdles, but like, I think that the DAOs are not necessarily only standalone. I think that they are also complements to, you know, broader organizational structures. And in fact, their most prominent, or rather, their their most, they may be greatest in number attached to some type of corporation in the future, um, and so you know I, I think that as we see corporate adoption, um, we we might realize that uh, we want to protect that type of organization more, and so I'm I'm hoping I'm hoping to see uh, you know the Disney's of the world push to. Um, adopt this technology faster uh, because I think that when they do um, we'll have a different discussion on the regulatory side. Yeah. I just know I'll have to be getting off when it's called the Big Mac DAO. I'm just, I'm, I'm done at that point. <laughs> I'm going to demand some changes on that point. Exactly. <laughs> um, so you've also been looking at the potential legislative imp- implications. You know, the, these days there's, there's a bit of a fire hose cause you got uh, Micah out there from Europe. You've got the Luma Skillbrand bill, which isn't up 
uh, obviously not going to be voted on uh, this session. You got the Stabenow bill, which apparently now has started to gain traction. Uh, in fact, most people are anticipating that that will overtake the stablecoin passage. Although who knows? By the time Congress meets again next year, we could be changing the, the the players. But you've taken a look, you know, at the at the Stabenow bill, the DCCPA. Um, you know, what what do you see in that and its relationship to to the operation of DAOs, prospectively potentially? Yeah, so uh, you know, whereas I was pretty optimistic about Lummis Gillibrand, um, you know, with respect to the people who have worked on the DCCPA, I would say that as as somebody who works with builders in the space very often, it does not seem like they consulted people who actually work in the industry. I know that they have a nexus with some of the trade groups. Um, I've, I've, I've discovered trade groups that I don't think anyone who actually works in the industry know exist. Um, and, you know, I think that it, it doesn't, it doesn't really solve anyone's problems. Um, it, it provides some benefits of clarity for Bitcoin and Ether and, and hopefully, you know, a broader swath of digital commodities, but it doesn't answer, uh, you know, what a security is. Um, I, I think that, there are two interpretations of a carve out for security. One is, you know, that Congress considered the question and considered it adequate that, um, you know, the 1933 definition of security governs. The other is that Congress considered the question and wanted the courts to determine where the line is. Um, I obviously take the second perspective, but that is no different than where we are right now. I also think that there is a huge unintended consequence of um, making ether a commodity, but continuing to um, pursue claims against tokenized environments on Ethereum. The reason being that once ether is a commodity, there will be a huge surge of demand when Fidelity and others say, "Hey, buy Ethereum like it," you know, and they're going to brand it as Bitcoin Junior, which is such an error. Um, and people will buy it, and some people will buy it on the promise of what Ethereum you know, represents. They'll read Vitalik's white paper and they'll say, this is great. But then Ethereum won't be able to deliver as, as efficiently on its mission if you continue to attack the, 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 the dApps, right? The, the, yeah. the things that really make Ethereum interesting. And so who will hold the bag? I mean, you know, if, if, if I'm being honest, it would be the public. I think you're actually running the public into a trap. Um, and, and I think that you could run the public into a, a valuable, um, you know, circumstance if you allow Ethereum to develop according to its plan. But this is almost like saying, hey, you can invest in a share of the internet, but we're not going to allow websites to operate with any right. kind of efficiency. You, you can put your money in Google, but uh, there's no websites. Yeah, yeah. So search away. But, <laughs> but searching requires you to spend $500,000 on legal bills um, you know, to figure it out. I mean, that's, so I would love to see, you know, the senators who are involved continue to research uh, blockchain, invite people who are actually building things. There are things with clear utility. They typically don't get the headlines because I think a lot of journalists fear, um, you know, fear having a positive narrative on crypto right now. When the market's down, that's always the case. Um, but also doing it in a way that that I, I think there's skepticism, right? I think there needs to be an assurance that if you go and speak to policymakers, that you're not running into a, a trap. Um, and so some kind of um, 
almost safe harbor. And I realize you can't just like create a safe harbor, but an understanding that if you go and talk to Congress, you're going to be respected and you're not immediately going to receive a subpoena from, you know, the SEC. Um, I, I think that's important. Right. And, so, and if DCCPA is, is, is successful, then unless you, you're, you, you know, your Bitcoin or Ethereum, you can get a subpoena from both the CFTC and the SEC because it's not like exactly. one precludes the other. So it's like, wow, how does this make my life better? Now I yeah. got two regulators, you know, I got to register right. as an exchange on two different platforms. You know, it's like you may have to do that anyway, but it's certainly if it's just uh, if it's two on one side and the broad based definition of Howie on the other side, then I mean... Yeah. You know, like they have a whole, uh, you know, the DCCPA, you know, envisions this sort of whole regulatory structure, which underpins it with exchanges and, you know, all kinds of SCMs and, you know, very explicitly having to register. Now it just sort of, uh, you know, if you still have to do that under the, the the securities regime and FINRA, you know, great, phenomenal. Like, you know, you've made it even more expensive to operate. So why even right. why even bother making ETH a, com a commodity? You might as well just make it illegal as well. <laughs> it's, it's it's definitely a catch twenty two at the at the like just in the definition section of the bill. I think that um, you know, the the important realization too is like. The, the bill makes it nearly impossible for DeFi to exist in a compliant way with some of the ways the registration um, requirements are drawn. And I'm, I'm less of an expert in this, this area, but I've spoken to you know, many excellent thinkers in the DeFi kind of legal world. Um, and, you know, really the only, only people I can see that stand to benefit from this are centralized actors who would like to take, you know, a, a fee from volume trading. Um, and I think this is actually a problem with some of the trade groups. There are centralized um, exchanges um, that are that are part of the you know, process of what we're going to advocate for, and they see a huge profit potential. By the way, I counsel unity between CFI and DeFi. Like there, there is a way to have a common mission. But um, if this bill were to pass in the way that it is, what you're doing is handing money to. Um, centralized actors, you're potentially like, you know, making banks richer. You're really going against, you know, one of the, the like most important missions um, of, of, you know, blockchain. I tend to, I, I really advocate that blockchain is not purely a financial tool, um, but it does have important financial you know, utilities. And so I think if this bill were to pass, if it were to, you know, effectively be rushed through the ag committee and including the year end bill. Um, I think it would, would put the industry back um, quite a bit, not permanently. I think that it would ultimately be, um, you know, repealed or, or amended dramatically, but at great cost. Um, and, and I think that, you know, the United States in particular could use the innovation um, this won't give it to them. Yeah, particularly with Micah. Uh, Micah more so on the issuance, not so much on the secondary markets, which is probably the next thing we have to worry about. But first, I yes. guess we have to deal with the primary issuances, which are all screwed up here. Micah's got the primary, still has a secondary complex. We've got the primary issue and the secondary. So, yes. Um, well, and that's super important. Like these things are interjurisdictional, right? It's very rare that a token is purely in one jurisdiction. And so if there isn't collaboration across jurisdictions to come up with some basic uniformity, um, then you're just going to have, you know, a turf war between jurisdictions. You know, Europe, Europe might say, hey, come build here. 
the U.S. might say, hey, come trade here. Um, but like they, they make it almost impossible to create the, the, the substance of what this technology promises. So when, when DAOs find themselves under attack in the U.S., do you counsel them to contemplate, you know, hold on, maybe I got to be careful with this. Do you, do you raise the notion of over, you know, offshore foundations that are memberless, that have less of that potential, uh, you know, that, that may be more consistent with that true DAO structure? Do you think that the whole foundational structure offshore is something that's going to grow? Do you think it's going to be kind of stalled? Um, do you not have a view on it? <laughs> so, so I definitely like if a DAO were to come to me, I'd say get a lawyer. Um, like you know, I, I don't act as um, attorney for for you know our cohort companies. Yeah, this is I not definitely. legal advice. This is the first yeah, time yeah, I yeah, exactly. said it on the podcast. But I, I think though that um, you have to really think about like what what that structure means. Like you know, I think there's some people who rush into it and they don't know what they're doing, and it may not accomplish their goals. I think that you know, what can be interesting is there are certain structures that, that are not necessarily, um, you know, created in the United States that, that have the, have the, um, that, that are similar to trusts, but also similar to companies. And there are certain things that can be accomplished in the, in the purpose of, you know, decentralization um, and in giving the, the DAO some, you know, ability to like, be a counterparty um particularly I, i'm not sure i would i would personally sign a contract with the dow without there being some counterparty that could you know guarantee the contract um so i think there there can be um reasons to find what i call you know offshore structures when the united states is suitable I think if what you what you think is you're somehow doing an end round around um, you know U.S. regulations, you're going to be sorely mistaken. Um, you know, the, the jurisdictional reach of the United States, and particularly if uh, the DCCPA passes, like you know, um, is is almost unbounded. Um, you know, so even when you think that you're not within the United States jurisdiction, you often are. Um, so I think they have some use, but. It, it should be purely a matter of whether or not it makes your community do the thing you want it to do. Um, I think, um, rather than a like you know a clever legal, legal scheme. I would agree with that. So, um, anything else? Uh, I have one final question, but before we get to that final oh. question, uh, anything else that we didn't cover that maybe uh, should have covered? Well, you know, I think I think we've touched on a lot of really interesting things. I could probably talk about DAOs all day. In fact, that's that's what I do. <laughs> um, you know, I, I would I would just advocate that anyone who's building a space like realize that now is a time to um, be heard. Like, particularly in the next couple of months, with you know the potential passage of a bill that really affects the industry. Um, you know, it's not just lawyers who should be talking, it's builders who should be finding ways to reach policymakers to to actually make the case for why this technology is uh, useful. I think that really needs to be um, underlined. So I'm going to put you on the spot on that yeah. one, though, because sure, sure. because if you're a small builder, what yeah. is the most effective way to do that? Yeah, so I think there are a few. One is, you know, there, there. Any individual voice is a inconvenient to like. It's it's inconvenient for a builder to, you know, put their head up and say, "Hey, I'm going to also be a policy um, advocate." 
it, it takes away from their building. So I think that the ways to do this are to interface with some of the interesting policy groups there are. If you're going pure like Web3 native, as they call it, you know, LexDAO is an interesting place to speak. Um, you know, speaking to the LexPunk group is, is a very interesting place to go. Um, there are also, you know, I think there are plenty of people that would listen at Blockchain Association, at Global DCA, some of these trade groups. Also, if you have an interesting illustration of how your technology works, I think it'd be really interesting for people to actually write in, you know, op-eds to general readerships or have an interview with, you know, a newspaper. Don't, don't get into, you know, all the legalistic aspects of what you're doing. Just like, hey, we're building this thing and this is why it's helpful. Um, I think, I think we need more of that and, and not just like, you know, the decrypts and the block works of the world, like talk to the Chicago Tribune, talk to the New York times, like, you know, be careful. Don't, don't want to run into a, you know, a, a, a hit piece, but we need people to actually talk about what they're doing in a, in a way that shows the good. Um, we, we don't just need the disasters to be headlines. Good point. Good point. So my, my, my last final question was, you know, I alluded to it earlier. So 2022 was, some people called it the year of the Dow. Is 2022 the year of the Dow? <laughs> um, I, I don't think so. I think, I think that, I, I'm not sure we'll have a year of the Dow in the way that people anticipated. I think that we will have Dow's take on a meaningful role in blockchain space over the course of the next decade in ways that we don't quite understand yet. Uh, right now, I think 2022 is actually the year of um, building the appropriate tooling to get DAOs to where they need to be. Um, there's a lot that needs to happen. Like, right now, we have what I'd call fairly primitive tooling um, to build DAOs. Um, and, and I think that we're going to see breakthroughs in, in how people actually uh, construct them, how they protect treasuries, how they manage governance, and so I think, I think there is a subtext, or rather there's a sub story. Um, a lot of things are being built that I think will be valuable, you know, four years from now. But uh, 2022 was not, definitely not like the, the year that the Dow all of a sudden replaced all companies. Um, it was quite the opposite. I think, I think uh, there, was, there was kind of a bubble in Dow formations that has, um, you know, that has come to term. Right. I think there's actually some value to starting to talk more about what we're actually doing. You know, yes. like instead yes. of falling into an NFT narrative, talking about what it is that we're doing is an identity token, is it a social token, is it an art token? You know, same thing with DAOs. Is it, you know, like we said initially, it, it, if it's not autonomous, maybe we shouldn't be calling it a DAO. Yeah, you know, I agree. I think I think with the with the proviso that like it'd be great if we um, came to agreement on something that was. Um, that was able to be accomplished, meaning well, it was fairly lightweight, but like here are the, here are the things that DAO, like DAOs that are being formed should say to people who want to uh, participate. Like, and if you say things within this format and you're honest, like, you know, you're compliant, like that'd be great um, because it would be great to see NFT projects, like really say what they're about rather than giving a visual roadmap that like, you know, is, is all kind of um, shorthand for what they may or may not do. I, I think that, you know, that, that day will soon come to a close, but it would be nice if we allowed people to describe in more detail 
what their vision is and how they tend to accomplish it um, and allow them to do it in a way that like if, if they follow the, those rules and what I call a short form disclosure regime, um, you know, they're, they're not going to uh, get in trouble for, for what they've said. Yeah. Can you imagine what a disaster would be if like, for some reason, you know, I guess we would say in an alternate universe, because it would never happen. But like, legislators actually got together and they said, you know what, if you have a Dow, not a security, and everybody was like, yeah, but we'd be like, no, 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 we're like, you have to be decentralized, you have to be fully autonomous organization, people are like, what? Yeah, <laughs> you know, from I mean, from elation to complete despondency, you know, over in, in an instant. I think that you know Hester Pierce, um, you know, Representative McHenry, um, and, and even the Lemus Children, you know, effort, you know, having a, a concept of a safe harbor that that does that does have meaningful benchmarks, yep. has self certification. Um, I think those those are excellent approaches. And I think, I think, you know, you should have to put yourself out there and say, here's what we intend to do. Things fail, right? Startups fail. Uh, but uh, here's what we intended to do. And, and we either did or didn't accomplish it. And if you didn't accomplish it, you know, then, then here's, here's how you can, you know, fall into the regulatory map. And if you did accomplish it, like, go ahead, you're a decentralized protocol. Um, I think I think that would be um, that would be welcome. Yeah. Also, give props to the uh, RigX proposal by LexPunk as well on that. Yes. Yes. So, um, absolutely. Great stuff. So, uh, Dane, thanks for coming on the podcast. Uh, it's great to have you talk about DAOs. Um, absolutely, um, Eric. Thanks. Thanks for the time and thanks for the excellent questions. And if anybody wants to find out more about you, where do they go? They should go to alliance.xyz. Um, you know, if you're a builder, I highly encourage you to apply to Alliance's Accelerator. Um, and if you want to see some of the things that I'm writing and thinking about, uh, you know, you can go to my Twitter. It's Lund underscore Dane. Um, and you can send me a DM if you want to, you know, talk about anything specific. Awesome. Thanks so much. Excellent.